This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels. This is the Mini Rebel, introducing you to episode 23 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's intro by Mini Me. Um, that's what happens when you're locked in a house and there's nowhere to record in the quiet. So today's podcast is with Jules Horn and we are talking all about how to write better for audio, be it for audiobooks or scripts or radio. This episode will not only show you how to record uh, how to write better audio. Um, <laughs> this episode not only will show you how to write better for audio, but also improve your writing as a whole. But first to last week's question. I asked, where do you get your books? Lots of answers once again this week. And um, I mean, the majority of you did say Amazon because you all have Kindles. But there were mentions of lots of other stores, including Barnes and Noble, library books, independent bookstores and the um, podcast's once a month sponsor Kobo. This week's question is what is the best book you've read this year? I am not sure what the best book I've read this year is. I am wildly behind where I normally am at this point in the year um, and I'm not really sure why that is. I think I've probably been working um, later in the evenings and therefore read less but also, <laughs> um, you know, life things getting in the way. Um, but the current book that I'm reading at the moment I think is going to end up being uh, one of the best books I've read this year and that is Smoke Gets In Your Eyes by Caitlin Doherty. Uh, and that's all about her time working in a crematorium and it's I guess an exploration of death which if you've listened to this for any amount of time probably won't be a surprise as you know I have an obsession with death. Um, okay, so the book recommendation this week is, of course, our lovely guest, Jules Horns, writing for audiobooks, Audio First, for Flow and Impact. I listened to the audiobook of this book last year, and that is exactly why I asked her on the show. I highly recommend this book, not just if you're if you have an interest in turning your books into audiobooks, but also because I think this will help to improve your prose and your writing anyway. And I will include links to that in the show notes. In personal update today, I got back the Anatomy of Prose edits from my editor and um, I completed all those changes and I also finished formatting which whoa, was absolutely brutal. So um, my last two non-fiction books, uh, 13 Steps to Evil, How to Craft a Superbad Villain and 10 Steps to Hero, How to Craft a Kick-Ass Protagonist were around the 40 to 45,000 word mark. This book is topping out at just shy of 68,000 words. So it is significantly um, longer, almost what's that? Oh God, me trying to do numbers, probably almost 40% longer. So it is a bit of a beast. And um, I use vellum to format and which means I have to do it myself. But it also means that um, 
because I write non-fiction and there's lots of quotes and um, there's examples and there's subtitles, there's loads of fiddly bits and bobs that need formatting. Now, this book, whilst there are 12 steps or 12, you know, overarching chapters, within those chapters, because it's such a beast of a book, I have almost sectioned them down so they're like mini chapters. And <laughs> wait for it, there are 123 of these like mini chapters. So it's a big book. I think it's um, approaching 400 pages. I, I think it's around 370, something like that, 375. Um, but I won't know for definite until I get it, until I get the proofs, which I will be ordering this week. So this evening I am uh, going to be finishing off like the acknowledgements and then I will be pulling the templates off so that I can send them to the designer to, um, yeah, send me back the paperback template templates which means I can then order my proofs. I'm so excited. Um, the ebook is up for pre-order on Amazon but um, now that I have the book I will be loading it up to the other stores, the Barnes and Nobles, the Kobo's, the um, Apple iBooks, whatever it's called now. Um, so yes I will be getting the pre-order up there and then um, by, hopefully by the last, last bit of the week I will also have the paperback pre-order up too. Um, so this coming week, other than doing those things, I will really be looking at launch tasks now. Um, I'll be also finishing up the workbook, um, the download, there's like an additional, in fact there's two additional downloads, one which is free to everybody and one which you can get by signing up to my mailing list. Um, and oh, I also, this is exciting, I set up my audio booth. I have a, like a mini audio booth which I set up uh, within my very tiny office and so I will hopefully be starting to record the audiobook as well. If you would like to help with the launch um, of the Anatomy of Prose, if you'd like to be a, a, an advanced reader, um, then there is still time to get on the street team. Um, I have a short form which uh, can be found at bitbit.ly forward slash AOP team. So bit.ly forward slash AOP team. And I will also put that in the show notes if you would like to join the street team. And there will be lots of giveaways and prizes, especially for street teamers. Um, last bit of news, I was on the Alliance of Independent Authors Inspirational Indie Authors podcast um, today, actually, which is Sunday. Um, so if you would like to listen to that, and also the interesting thing is um, it's not like a traditional, you know, me talking about villains or heroes or anything like that. It's much more um, Howard has a very personable interview style where he goes and digs into like your past and, you know, yeah, so you will get to find out a bit more about me. Okay. Listener Rebel of the Week this week is Kathleen March. Kathleen says, when I taught at university, uh, I was the object of fierce criticism by a colleague. She thought it was, uh, she thought she was a feminist too. When I heard she was commenting about my family and what she said was a total lie, I waited until right after a faculty meeting when people were still standing um, in the room. I then calmly but very firmly said, keep your mouth off my family. 
everyone heard me and the good sized woman shrank. I love that because there is nothing better than standing up for your loved ones. And also it takes a lot of balls to stand up to um, people, you know, I don't know why, but often we're expected to, you know, be meek and mild. And I just don't think that's right. I think we ought to be standing up for ourselves. And this is the, this is a wonderful example of not only standing up for yourself, but also defending your family. So good for you and your rebellion. If you would like to be a rebel of the week, please do send in your stories. It can be any kind of rebellion. You can um, big, small or somewhere in between. If you'd like to be a rebel, then you can email your story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or tweet me at rebelauthorpod. One new patron today, thank you, and a huge welcome to Julia Fortune, who also has a pretty awesome name, by the way. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, and thank you to all of my patrons who help to ensure that this podcast continues. If you would like to support the show and get access to all of the bonus essays, posts, and content, you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting www w.patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black and as always that's Sasha with a C and not an S. Let's get on with the interview. Hello and welcome back to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I am joined by Jules Horn. Jules is an award-winning fiction writer, playwright who performs spoken word as Rebel Cello, love that, she is a passionate indie author and teaches on the Open University Creative Writing MA. Welcome, Jules. Hello, Sasha. Really lovely to be on your show. Um, and before we start, I am just going to make an apology. Uh, it appears my very inconsiderate neighbours have decided to start building something today. Um, so there are... I'm just peering out of the window, which is why the sound's going funny. Um, there, there's some sort of drilling, cutting metal kind of device. So yeah, if you hear that, I apologise. It's a bit inconsiderate, isn't it? Oh, I mean, God, <laughs> so rude. <laughs> God, some people work at home, guys. Um, anyway, right. Uh, let, let's, let, let me focus. Um, okay, tell everyone a little bit more about you, your writing journey and how you got to where you are now. Thanks, Sasha. Yes, I just wanted to, um, it, this is quite a long journey because I'm a bit elderly. So um, <laughs> I just wanted to um, sort of really in a nutshell. But I think what's always important with writer journeys is you find somebody who inspires you right at the start. Mm. And I think that happened for me in primary school. So there was this primary teacher, John Stables, and he just he just fed us with these amazing stories. I mean, we were, we were hearing um, about Lord of the Flies and all sorts of um, fantastical stories really early on. So I think that really got me my attention and he got us creative writing writing as well which I think in Scotland's quite a big thing you, you you know you do examinations in creative writing and it's really part of your education from right young and I think that sort of is fed into and then sort of really fast forward so I kept doing bits and pieces but never thought you know it's that thing that you think oh being a writer it's like way out of reach sort of thing but um, I did then a writer in residence came into my life and I think that happens quite a lot of people as well again an inspiration where somebody locally's maybe got a job in a library or something in this case it was Tom Bryan who's a Canadian Scots author and he came in 
and kind of said, you know, you, you know, just a helping hand. And that got me started writing short stories again after a very long period of kind of not being not being involved in writing. And then finally, what, what the final thing was, was the Travers came to town, some Travers Theatre from Edinburgh. They came to our rural area and said, because, you know, we're quite isolated in a rural area and sort of wondering, you know, how best to connect with writers and do it. And, and they came in and they kind of really stirred my sense of, um, heightened storytelling, dramatic storytelling, and I'm quite interested in the supernatural and fantastical things because I come from the borders, which is uh, quite, um, um, I think I, I like to say it's where um, the Game of Thrones was inspired <laughs> by. So it's kind, of, it's kind of got that sensibility of lots of ruinous landscapes and things where you can project all sorts of stories onto from, from the history. So I think, and, th and then I started sort of mixing short story writing, which I'd always done with a, more of a sense of drama, and I started writing plays Got, had a couple of BBC um, radio plays on, wrote some um, scripts for the stage, for fringe shows and that kind of thing. So I've kind of gone via um, short story writing into dramatic writing, um, including radio. So that's where I've kind of come full circle and I'm kind of back to spoken word and ways to make writing kind of live in front of an audience. So yeah, so that's that's it in a nutshell. The thing that I love most about what you just said is that we all have that person uh, from our past who really is the inspiration. And I don't think I've ever thought about it like that. But you are absolutely right, because I'm now immediately thinking of um, I had an English teacher. I'm just trying to. Uh, was it? I must have been in high school. So I must have been. Mm. Yeah, no, it was high school. I was just trying to, all the schools merge into one. And I had a, a three-tiered system, unlike most people in the UK who only have like primary school and secondary school. Sorry for all of the non-UK people listening who will not understand our education system. But uh, yeah, so this was in second uh, high school. So I was, it's year, well, anyway, 13 until you leave for university. And um, I, I, I English was always my best subject at school, but he really fostered this love of story and mm -hmm. analysing story and learning how to write better. And, you know, so, yeah, that I just, oh, a blast from the past. So thanks for that. I'm mm. like, oh, like, yeah. very happy with memories now. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really important to have that person that kind of sparks that for you. Because I remember going to a workshop once and it was Janice Galloway, the novelist, the Scottish novelist. And she said a librarian had kind of um, taken her into a corner and said, look, Janice, this is for you. And, and I kind of went, whoa, that somebody actually recognised that latent thing Aww. in her, that she was part of that world and kind of really fostered that. And it's just so important. Because I think in my case, like, say, English teachers... But the, the young, uh, the primary teacher was great. But when we went, we did things like Shakespeare at school, and Shakespeare, you know, Macbeth is amazing. It's like mm. really this amazing supernatural horror story. But they kind of ruined it yeah. <laughs> the way the way you do it at school. And you need you need someone with the kind of imaginative leap that kind of helps you see the excitement of it. I think really really important. Yeah, and I will confess. <laughs> I obviously am a bit of a rebel, but um, so I never read any of the school textbooks that I was told to read ever. Mm -hmm. I st I don't know how I managed to come out with like the A grades that I got, but um, obviously like in class you do the analysis and stuff and that was enough, but they just ruined them. They ruined my mm. joy of, um, you know, 
doing that kind of stuff in school. But what he did do was foster my love of a reading Mm -hmm. anyway, aside from that, because obviously they would encourage you to read all kinds of books, but also the the story. And I actually, I've just remembered, I still have the very first story that I wrote of any significance in school. Yeah. Uh And and (laughs) I, yeah, I I just remembered. I'm like, oh, I'm like going down memory lane. I'm so sorry, guys. This is completely irrelevant to our um, our, our podcast. But yeah, that are... I think that's lovely. It ties it ties you into what your reason, your why, you know, talking about why and sort of tapping into that. I think it's really important because sometimes you can get a bit dispirited when you're going along with you know, the writing the writing journey and just really tuning into that thing that got you going, that catalyst, I think is really important. So having that um first story is just amazing. Yeah, I know. I and I yeah, I completely forgot until this point that I still had that story. And but I'm almost certain I know where it is in the loft. Anyway, right, we are here to talk about audiobooks and writing for audio audio specifically. So you've written a book called Writing for Audiobooks, Audio First for Flow and Impact, which I, well, I say I read it, I listened to it. Does that count? Is that reading? I don't, it's still a bit, it's a bit of a, you know, is it reading? Yeah, good question. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know. It's playing out, isn't it? Yeah. But I listened to the audiobook in 2019 and I loved it. I have been trying to consume as much as humanly possible um, on this, you know, audio creation front. Um, But for those that haven't read it, could you tell everyone um, about the concept behind the book and... Yeah, well, it's a massively exciting time for audiobooks, you know, because it's um, really taking off. And when and I think that thing that you're saying about not sure whether it's reading or listening and where it sits, I think people are, I, it was really gobsmacking to me to hear from friends who were saying, I've read this book, and they, they actually had listened to it. And I think that's really changing at the moment as it takes off. And so the book is really um, about um, exploring what's the difference between writing for the ear and writing for, for print and ebooks. Mm. And um, I have a sort of radio background. So I did some, re- I did radio news and I've done radio plays and thinking you know, dramatically and how you write scripts, realising that there's actually quite a difference between how you how you write for the ear and how you write sort of more generally for the, for the eye and for print. And so I wanted to just capture all those things that I'd learned, you know, from doing radio and from um, being, you know, you, you work with a um, you know, producer or sort of script editor when you do your first radio script and they kind of take away and go, you know, you need to change this, you need to change this. And it's really developing your understanding of what's different. And I came back, I thought, God, this is gold stuff that, you know, it, it was quite hard one to learn that because you had to go through that painful um, you know, get heavily edited by a producer and go, oh, I need to change everything. And so I wanted to capture all those things because I think they're not out there enough. Um, and for any authors who want to kind of make that transition and make make their fiction books um, for uh, ready for audio narration, which obviously is a really costly process, you want mm. to really make the best of it. So, um, so I, I just put all those things in the book. And yeah, it's to help authors think about what are the concepts that are different and get their book ready if they're planning to make that investment in an audio recording you know have they you know just checklist of have you thought about this have you thought about this and um yeah and it's that that's that's really the concept behind the book so obviously you've said that audio is increasing in popularity but why would an author write for audio first yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's a sort of material reason which that it's really taking off. And, mm. you know, they're saying audiobook sales. I mean, if you've, if one of the things about writing, a, writing a book is it's your IP. And so you want to make the best of it on different platforms. So um, having, having done the work of written the book, this is another platform. And so I think just materially speaking, it's a good time to consider that. 
Um, and also to just, um, I mean, I think the, the skills that you learn through writing for the year are actually really kick-ass editing skills. So it can help kind of, um, it can help clarify your writing and make it more, and make it bolder because you have to be bolder. You have to be clearer and crisper when it's just audio and not visual. So, um, yeah, so I think it just helps your editing skills generally. So there's the material reason, and then there's the yeah the clarity and understanding. And and you know, the other thing is obviously it's really fun. Mm. <laughs> Forget forgetting that aspect, it's really fun to to write for the ear and to have an audiobook performed and to to hear it kind of coming across in that live way narrated. It's just a really fun medium. So so obviously I think audio listeners will be able to maybe subconsciously maybe consciously I don't know but they will be able to tell the difference between something that's been written for sight versus something that's been written for the ear because obviously as per the title of your book um you know flow and impact do you think if somebody's writing for audio first that sight readers would feel the difference do you think they would feel like it's been written for or audio or do you think it is it, it is you know sight readers are much more forgiving I, th- I think it can yeah I think it's really interesting question because I think some writers for some for some writers who write fiction for example you they are they're a kind of writer who's so tuned into audio types of writing types of storytelling anyway that you maybe wouldn't notice the difference mm. but you, you can certainly tell when someone hasn't thought about the about um you know, storytelling and its musicality, for example. I mean, there's people like, I would say, like, say Philip, say Philip Pullman and, and Neil Gaiman, and they they write in a way which is very, it's got a certain kind of musicality. And a lot of writers who are natural-born storytellers, they're almost from, you know, from that campfire storytelling tradition where you, you're really aware of audience and of the sort of musicality of performance. Mm. They do that naturally anyway. And I was really interested to hear it was Philip Pullman on a, some you know documentary on the BBC or something where he was talking about the kind of musical shape of his writing that he kind of could anticipate the, the what the shape of it that was coming up even though he didn't know quite what was going into that sentence you could sort of feel where it was heading I thought wow that's you know mm. he's got that kind of innate thing when he edits so some mm. people do that anyway um, you know they have that kind of particular but I think I think um, with other writers yet yeah, you could tell and you could say um, you could really improve your script for narration at uh, your book for narration and I think that's a key slip because actually it's it is a script I think that's the key thing mm. it becomes a script mm. which is for performance and you can tell if people haven't thought of that because because the writing can be yeah more forgiving as you were saying it can be more forgiving in um, in writing for sight because it can have you know really long baggy sentences it can have loads of which clauses and nested clauses and asides and back flips and if you if the reader loses their way they can always kind of nip back and have a quick ah oh, yeah that's that character and see where we are and um, whereas audio you don't have that kind of ease of just checking back and forward flipping back because it's a linear and unfolds mm. in that in that sort of way so you you can sense that someone has written with that in mind with that kind of performance a performative aspect in mind yeah okay so what what are the key differences then between writing for sight and writing for the ear mm-hmm. I, I think that that um sort of performance idea is one of the key ones so you know most writers are aware of audience but i think that people who write for the ear are aware of audience in a very particular way because without 
the audience there and that awareness it's not it's not a performance so you really really have to imagine that that person that you're speaking to and write for them and to them so i think that's the key thing that sort of that conceptual thing like it's it's a performance to an audience and the second thing is it's it's physical it's actually you know it's actually physics you're hearing a voice in your ear it's kind of it's kind of embodied in that in that very physical way and all these things that are true for music are also true for writing for the ear so it's things about rhythm flow repetition and um you know the kind of melody of a voice and the kind of um yeah the way it has um, different intensities and, and and that kind of thing pat different kind of pattern making so anything that's true of music is also true of writing for the ear so that's i think that's a key difference and and also i just think voice is really important and the whole sort of distinctiveness of who you are and how you're how you relate and how you um how you shape your worldview by um it comes across so much more clearly when it's anchored to a voice so i think for authors this is such a great thing because not only are you being able to write you know uh, for sight but you can also get that whole that whole distinctiveness that comes through your 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 manner of speaking and so on, your whole, whole sort of personality and your colour that comes in, you know, the choice of words, the kind of magic dust that makes each voice distinctive. I think, um, yeah, I think that's one of the real joys of um, of, uh, and one of the real differences is the fact that you can physically hear that that human person coming across. Mm. I I think voice is a very very interesting uh, topic, and I'm mm. just gonna t- tangent off just a little bit on this because I find voice fascinating. So, um, lot lots of um, I I listen to both audiobooks and podcasts Mm -hmm. and originally I didn't know you could listen on high speeds so Mm -hmm. I consumed them for probably about a year at normal speed before I then realized you could increase them and I was very 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 particular about who I would and wouldn't listen to because some people's voices are really annoying and Mm -hmm. you know you just you can't listen to them and obviously that is going to be a huge consideration for anybody who's picking a narrator and not and choosing not to narrate themselves. But mm-hmm. um, what I find interesting now is voice has less of an impact for me. And, and, and I don't mean the author's voice or the character's voices. I just mean the narrating voice. And this is why I say it's a tangent. Um, mm-hmm. But because I listen on high speed. So actually the voice usually sounds if not like a chipmunk then mm-hmm. you know it is distorted at any rate um yeah. and i just wonder how how important narrating voice is going to be for the future when i know that our you know our attention pan uh, attention pans yes our pans our attention spans are shortening and we're trying to consume more faster so um i don't i, I it's just a tangent really but I think it's a I think it's a really interesting one because this is developing so fast as well. Yeah. And there are kind of there are kind of you know digital ways of and and you know, Kindle has got um, you know a voice speaking way to, uh, to bring your book across. So and also this thing about speed, which a lot of um, I mean I've heard actors uh, really railing about this fact that you can do it, but I know I do it too. Yes. <laughs> so, so you know <laughs> listening faster, and I suppose it depends on the genre and what you're. Um, you know why you're listening what you're listening for mm. and also you tune in don't you you get used to different speeds it's amazing how you, you you don't really hear a chipmunk style voice you're actually just focusing really hard and you you get you you hear 
you hear it just as well. Absolutely. I, mean, I find it amazing how quickly you get sort of into that, which is a bit frightening, really. But I also think there's a thing about, you know, in the spoken word realm, one of the things is um, the whole the whole distinctiveness of character and voice. And, mm. and you'd be listening for different reasons in that. So... Um, so there, I would say, for example, if you're a Scots language speaker and you don't have many chances to get, people don't like reading so much in the Scots language because it's it's quite difficult. It's like the spelling's all different and all that kind of thing. But with spoken word, you can go directly to um, to the voice as 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 it's used in everyday life. And so, I think for that kind of, which is a different genre than maybe information type books or non-fiction type books. It's it, that's a real opportunity as well. So there's two divergent things, maybe the mm. the people who want to read really fast, and it's about information and um, you know really you know devouring a book really quickly, for example. And um, I'm not sure. And then and then maybe things like spoken word. It's a slightly different market and um, a different reason. So yeah, yeah, I, those things. I, I agree because interestingly, I can't listen to fiction audiobooks. I okay. yeah so I only consume non-fiction in audio and podcasts which are equally information giving um mm. audio and uh, but it's funny you were saying how you get used to it I actually <laughs> I now think some of the po- the podcasters that I listen to sound bizarre with their normal voice because I'm so used to hearing them at double mm-hmm. speed but it is it you you very much get used to it and and it didn't take me very long to be able to go from one speed to two speed to even a fraction faster sometimes um wow. yeah I, yeah i just you know <laughs> children you have to consume when you can can't you um okay so how can writers create better flow for audio um well i think i think the key thing is read it aloud and it sounds really obvious but i think quite often when people are preparing their book for audio they'll read they'll read aloud in a way that's kind of to themselves so they'll kind mm. of mumble it to themselves and that's not the same as reading aloud which is projecting and really trying out how it feels and really sort of um, projecting it into the room so i would say reading aloud reveals one thing that's quite fundamental which is sentences are usually too long so <laughs> that's really one thing it's just the human limitation of your breathing you know it's like sentences are too long so that, that i think that's the first thing um to um yeah that's that, that's a sort of trick just create better flow by um, breaking up your sentences more some words are a bit of an indicator like things like which clauses which are relative clauses so it's kind of an aside explaining something mm. um, you know the man went down the street which was uh, at the far end of the delirado and you can these are kind of like um, net bags net shopping bags <laughs> where you can just sort of put loads of stuff in and then get back to the verb you know um, so which clauses are a bit of a culprit and quite often if you look out for words that are which clo- uh, started by which clauses uh, sentences with which clauses you can kind of chop them up a bit that helps flow um, and another thing is to look out for spans and arcs of attention so you can use things like there's these words in grammar called connectives and that covers things like um first and firstly and secondly so firstly a big baggy net bag where you can put loads of stuff in and then secondly big baggy net bag and those can be expanded infinitely but they also create spans of attention so looking out for connectives and that's even things like but then and and so on they really help you create a sense of flow it's almost like the structural glue of you know of of um paragraphs and so on um and then i was thinking um yeah um things like touches something i call touches which is 
something the weird thing about radio is that if something's not mentioned it's literally invisible so if you've got a radio drama scene and you've got say three characters in there and two are speaking away and the the um third character is kind of on the edge of the room reading or something like that because they're not mentioned they're not speaking they're not vocalizing any in any way they're they're literally invisible <laughs> so the mm. actors have to have to kind of vocalize and you know just to remind you of their presence and that's a kind of touch that you know just it's like a firefly that kind of refreshes the memory of that person or thing being there and it's the same with audio writing in fiction if for example you've got I don't know, there's, say you're in, a, in some kind of wardrobe or whatever and there's a dog and you're hiding from somebody and you've forgotten to mention regularly that the dog is there, um, then we, we literally can't see it in audio. So <laughs> you have to keep um, popping up these, these touches that keep the picture alive because the whole thing is about creating pictures in the, in the reader's mind and it's keeping the aspects of the picture alive that are important for the story. So I think touches is a thing that's, that's really important and maybe you need a bit more of that in audio writing than you do in in uh, in fiction generally yeah and I, I think I can compare that to so I do developmental editing and one thing I often see writers do is um, they'll bring a character in and sometimes they'll describe them sometimes they won't but if they have described them that's it you get one description mm. and then nothing for the whole rest of the time and actually mm. um, uh, so I'm writing a book called The Anatomy of Prose and one of the tips in there that I was talking about uh, a couple of days ago was to, to do these touches just little things little reminders even if it's oh, okay. body language or you know or how you know you don't have to continually describe everything but just little touches to keep the image of that character what they look like what you know their their how they interact with the world alive in the reader's mind yeah. um so i love that that is one of the things you need to do in audio as well that makes a lot of sense to me yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't need to be like you say the dog and then you say the dog again. You yeah. can do it in, a, in an oblique way by referring to its, you know, wet, smelly pelt. Or, and these sometimes with characters, they have totemic things that are attached to them. Yeah. Like, you know, Sherlock's pipe or something. So you yeah. kind of know it's a kind of totem for that character. Exactly. So there are ways to make the visual live. And in a way, that's quite theatrical as well, because when you're thinking about what's what, you're trying to think what can read well on stage what can read really clearly on stage mm. and so you know Sherlock and his pipe clearly and um so you know or, or you know Beckett's tree or something you know the, these kind of things or um they it's a bit like that in fiction I think and, and translating it into audio if you can keep those totemic visual things alive it really helps the reader to have their picture um yeah kept going with these little firefly moments absolutely sort of, yeah um so any other sentence level tips and tricks uh you can give listeners to improve their prose for the ear um yeah i've i've, I've got a, a tip sh- tip sheet on that and i think the which that i um, mentioned is an important one i think breaking things up which and that clauses um there are two concepts which are really helpful which kind of come from drama and i think one is called one is landing and that's where the sentence lands so if you're reading aloud it's useful to think sometimes i see you know like a wadge of prose which is very dense and somewhere in the middle of that is a knife which is the murder the murder weapon and it's kind of so buried within that text that's kind of really dense all around it that you don't notice the knife mm. so you know you know what i mean it's like somebody sort of um, going up the stairs and, and there's a knife under the door and you think hang on was, was that just a knife was that was that because it's important and if you don't land 
clearly on that word that needs to be salient for the story it just kind of goes under so i think the idea of where where something lands is really important so the beginnings and ends of sentences in audio writing are really really important a bit like you know you know like in in poetry you have a line and um often what happens at the end of the line is got more prominence because of mm-hmm. where it is so kind of no, looking out for that sometimes it's putting it's just putting something like at the end of a sentence or at the beginning or um but in some way or at the end of paragraph but in some way using space a bit more to allow the salient things to really pop out so that landing thing's a good one um yeah and the other one is attunement which um i think it's like um it's, it's used in meditation so um, or in meetings, sometimes in meetings, people have this moment of, um, you know, attunement where you'll kind of settle and focus. Well, there's a kind of equivalent thing in audio writing, which is, and in radio writing, which is the recognition that you don't really get straight into the sentence at the beginning. Um, you need a little bit of time. So when you hear radio news, for example, you hear, um, and in other news, you know, they mm. go on. And, and in other news is totally unimportant as a <laughs> phrase, but it kind of gets your attention. And then the next bit is, a panda has escaped from, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's that kind of thing. And if you think about it, um, once upon a time is a bit like of that attunement phrase. It's kind of once upon a time. And then it's, there was a, you mm. know, young girl in a red hooded coat going into the forest. That's a terrible way of saying that, wasn't it? But you know what I mean? It's like, Later that afternoon or something, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That little time of attunement and transition, which then puts the focus on the next bit. So there was a little, then this happened. And it's just getting a sense of giving that little bit of time. So landing and attunement, I think, are two useful um, sentence-level editing tips. Amazing. And they kind in a way, they sort of contradict themselves, don't they? So it's obviously it must be about getting a balance because mm-hmm. if you're if you're if the important thing is what's at the beginning and the end, but then also you need attunement time, that is definitely a balance that you need to to strike. What there's a there's a psychological um concept called primacy and recency effect, which I think mm-hmm. is is what's behind that um, you know, where mm-hmm. you put the the word knife, which is the important thing for foreshadowing. Um okay. yeah, I, I that's my key. Here. I didn't my my degrees in psychology, so that's the only reason Ooh, only right. reason I know that. Um, but yeah, oh, fascinating! That's I'm brilliant. Like geeking out that's, over here. <laughs> that's a brilliant one, and there'll be another one which you'll love as well, which is the Tagarnik effect. Okay, and the idea of the idea of something starts and it's got closure, and that you're kind of you know even you know, like in hooks and whatnot, you plant a hook, and then people are um, waiting to see you know, where that leads. And in script writing, they have a thing called plant and payoff. So at story level, there's the plant something like it's like the check. I don't know, it's a gun, check off, gun on the wall or something. Mm. It's got to go off. It's a plant and payoff. And, and so I've heard of this and I thought it was really fascinating that the Sigarnik effect is like the human need for closure. So if something is started off, it needs to kind of have its answer at some point. And mm. you can use that idea to create these sort of spans. And when you do, you know, firstly, secondly, whatever, um, that's actually the Sigarnik effect. I think that's harnessing the Sigarnik effect because it's kind of going, we've got to wait for this next thing. And when I did, I did radio, <laughs> radio interviews sometimes with, with politicians of local radio, and they were really, they'd been quite well trained in this kind of thing where they would go, 
okay, there are three answers to your question. Firstly, and then you go, oh no, I've got to, <laughs> you know, because it created a span. Yeah, yeah, and you couldn't and, interrupt. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, but it's, it's interesting from a sort of positive perspective of how do you sustain attention? And, and um, so I think, yeah, that primacy and recency effect, and I think that, I think that all ties in somehow. Absolutely. Interesting. And I, I, that uh, the is it Siganic you said? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that effect also I think is um, you see that in books that are really pacey, so they'll leave something unanswered at the end of a chapter, so that the brain has no choice but to continue reading. I love yeah. love That's when a book does that. I hate it, yeah. but I love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah you bastards! I'll just have to keep reading until three a.m. Yeah. Um, okay, what mistakes do you see writers making when trying to write for audio? I suppose, I suppose the first thing is sort of being aware that, that, it, that it may be different and and kind of approaching it differently. So I guess the first thing is really preparing your script because, you know, um, audio is so expensive to produce mm. that going into a situation where you're getting your audio book recorded and not having done that prep, I think that's a mistake because it's just a really costly thing. And knowing that um, sound editing is really quite involved and isn't the same as like tweaking out a word which you would do if you were if you had a you know written text so i think the thing is to really edit your script practice it um and tighten it up for audio and use markup just to underline you know where you would where you would emphasize things um i think i think that's the mistake not actually acknowledging that it's different and going into that situation without having done some prep I think that's the main thing. Yeah. Oh, and also, also narrating the actual physical narration of your own book. I'd say um, people have maybe an idea of how to perform or project, which is a bit different. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, like being. I think you've got to think of it not as an audience that's um, you know a huge, you know, loads of people out there, but more a specific friend. And actually, that's the really nice thing about you know radio writing because it's if you're an introvert, particularly, it's got that intimacy. So what I do is um, I post a picture of, in my case, it's Robert Louis Stevenson. <laughs> he's on my he's on my wall, but it's somebody who's who I really love and um, want to um, speak to about what what excites me in the you know in the book, and I use that as a kind of projection. So I think that's a really good thing, not to think of it as a kind of declamatory um, way of reading, but actually mm-hmm. more an intimate one to one, and you can really help that by pinning somebody <laughs> pinning somebody on your wall. I think that's a great tip. I'd never have thought of that. Mm. <laughs> it really helps. It's funny. It's like you're speaking to them and it makes you point it out a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. And you've got then some joy in who you're speaking to as well, which is nice. Or, or fear if you, you know, put your old boss up there or something. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. But I'm evil. So, you know, I, that's the first thing I thought. <laughs> um, okay. So you actually narrated your audiobook as well, didn't you? Yes, gosh, that was a learning curve. Blind. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Well, maybe I should ask what mistakes you made. No, what what tips would you give for authors uh, wanting to narrate their audiobooks? Yeah, well, I made loads of mistakes. So the first tip is I don't answer, don't underestimate what it involves because it was. I thought, oh yeah, how how hard can it be? Okay, you're just speaking and reading aloud, and actually, yeah, it was it was quite um, it's quite involved. It needs a hell of a lot of stamina. Mm. Um, so the tips would be to really practice and prepare your script and um, to mark it up. I think as as the first step, and there's some sort of things that I've discovered. Yeah, God. Um, really be hydrated <laughs> um what i realized was that um you your body doesn't um 
you know, it takes a while to sort of process liquids and that kind of thing. So what voice artists do apparently, because I was reading up on all this uh, once I discovered how tricky it was, was uh, uh, drink loads the evening before. So so that you're really, you know, um, your voice is not going to get so hoarse. And um, yeah, it, you can't just sort of swig on the day <laughs> and expect it all to be really, really good. It's it's better to kind of be, you know, have sustained hydration so that was a useful thing mm. and also discovered um coconut oil on your lips is really good because um yeah I, 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 yeah some things like that people swear by um a slice of apple or um i don't know uh, yeah coconut oil was the thing for me that was really good so yeah that is fascinating. I um, always keep lip balm in here and I always put oh, yeah. lip balm on before I come on the podcast. That's usually the last thing I do. But I'd never conscious, I, I don't do it consciously. I just, obviously it must be my subconscious brain going, your lips are chappy today, love, you know. Yeah, I think what's different about coconut oil is what I realised you can actually kind of, um, you can use it as a kind of mouthwash. <laughs> so it sounds quite gross, doesn't it? But it's like, yeah, it sort of works. Whereas lip balm, you would have to kind of crunch it up. But mm. yeah, the general idea is the same, yeah. A coconut oil has a, a plethora of different uses though. I know you can use it as like a hair mask and all sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, um, it's got a lot on... of calories as well. That's 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 the drawback. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I write uh, both nonfiction and fiction, but specifically for my nonfiction, I have a lot of graphs or tables or images. So obviously, those aren't going to translate into audio. What what would you do in a situation like that for for authors who have extra things in their books? Yeah, because um, numbers and um, URLs and that kind of thing are really don't come across that well in air. So people have different techniques for that. But if you've got loads of things like that and things that might make, might um, go out of date, for example, what's great about Audible is that you can put them in a PDF and that's attached to your book. So it's kind of like a downloadable that's um, just related to your book and people can get that. So you can use that to capture anything like graphs or hyperlinks or stats or anything that's maybe not completely evergreen and needs to be updated every now and then. So yeah, that's what I would do with with any of those things. And you can also, radio tends to say, you know, don't use long numbers, but round them up and down. Mm. And, um, you know, similar with stats, use comparisons rather than loads of long strings of numbers because the, the mind can't take in too many numbers. You know what it's like when you've got uh, phone numbers and you're trying to remember them. It's it's a mm. bit similar with audio. So anything that you can capture outside that and then that um, lessens the load on you having to having to put that into the audiobook itself. Mm. So I- that PDF's a key thing, yeah. I definitely don't do numbers. <laughs> I uh, I can't, can't, the other day I recorded a uh, like quarterly goals post and I had like nineteen goals or something. I could not even <laughs> count. I couldn't keep the numbers in my head whilst I was talking. But anyway, I was mortified. Um, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell us about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Oh heck, right. Well, um, I think I think the funny thing is like rebel in author in the author world being an indie author is a rebel thing anyway because you're kind of going against the traditional publishing and kind of trying to um carve your own path which mm-hmm. i think's you know i think it's intrinsic to the whole thing that you, you know that you're about and that many of us are about which is really doing our own thing um but there, there's a sort of specific example here because i actually play i know you play cello as well so um, um I play I play cello, but I play it really badly, and I discovered it has a, another use in um, spoken word. 
So I, I actually play under the name Rebel Cello, which involves playing my cello sideways with a strap on so that it's kind of like a guitar. I love and, um, and I use that in a spoken word context. So it's great because you can play sort of little bass riffs and little, um, um, and you can use the bow, but it's it's all kind of sideways. And yeah, I've had so much more fun ever since I've kind of picked it up that way than when I was trying to do it in a in a kind of classical way um, in an orchestra because I never really had the technique to get beyond, you know, fourth position or whatever. I wasn't really that great for classical music, but in the sort of folk and spoken world, um, spoken word world, you can you can just kind of do your own thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I've really enjoyed doing that. I, so yeah, standing on stage with a cello sideways, doing some <laughs> some of my poetry, and actually spoken word is great for people who want to practice um, reading their word out aloud. Mm. So yeah, really worth trying because it's short and there's no huge commitment, and you can just try it out. When you when you told me you were called Rebel Cello, I was like all of the high fives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. Um, yeah, well, play. no, so that's what I was going to say. So I played for, I think, seven or eight years when I was at school. And um, I loved, loved, loved playing. And actually, on my bucket list uh, is to get another cello, uh, but to buy one because when I was at school, I just, you just have, like, you rent them kind of thing from the school. Okay. Um, and so I don't, so yes, on my bucket list, I would love to get a cello again and to play. Um, but when I was at school, you if you wanted to play, so I played, I think, for six years. And then for the last year, they changed the policy that if you wanted to play an instrument and have lessons through the school, you had to play in the orchestra. Now, I don't really do people, even less so in a bloody orchestra where you have to keep time with everybody and everybody's like, you know, you know. well, anyway, my orchestra were really militant about being or orchestral and I was not orchestral. I played for me and for me only. It was just I had a love of, of music and the strings and a love of practicing and just being by myself with that music. Mm -hmm. And anyway, so I went once and I was humiliated. The I remember the orchestra music teacher humiliating me in front of everybody. Mm. And um, so at the end of the class, I said to him, I am not coming to the orchestra. And he was like, well, either you, either you play in the orchestra or you don't play at all. So I handed him the cello and was like, well, fuck your cello oh. then. <laughs> yeah, literally. Oh, um, no, really yeah, sad. yeah, I know. And I walked oh. out and that was the last time that I played. And I, how dare he? How dare he ruin a child's love of music like that yeah. just to play in the orchestra in fact I'm now furious at the time I was just like well you know screw him blah 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 demonstrative little teenager that I was but now I'm like how dare he like I could have you know I could have you yeah. know ended up that could have been yeah that could have been such a sort of rich part of what you what you did all the rest of your it was such a rich creative creative outlook and what's what's brilliant because i think i think you should get back into it i think the, the thing <laughs> is what's what's now there's such a sort of alternative cello movement so a lot of people are using it in different ways um oh, there's this amazing guy who kind of leaps about and does mosh pit type things what? with the cello oh my god <laughs> just some really wild stuff happening with cellos and particularly with the liberation of being able to play them standing up and wandering around yeah. just fabulous for storytelling and you get to be all electronic as well which is for me that was just great you, you remember electric light orchestra and they used to think wow i want to be you know something like that um but because they had electric cellos and and now you can you can do that you can have a sound effect you can have a looper and the great thing about loopers is you don't need to be like a sociable person because you can play all the yeah you know, i really love the fact that i can layer music 
And, I mean, and yeah, you'd love it. You'd absolutely love it. Now, the key question is, obviously for branding, do they do them in purple? <laughs> Do they probably do? I bet they do. Yeah, yeah. You can get all sorts of electric. Che- yeah, you can get all sorts of electric chairs, and some of them are really quite sculptural. They're not. They don't look like normal chairs. They've got, um, you know, like hollow. Stru- yeah, yeah, straight yeah. shapes and things yeah. like that. So yeah, it's amazing how much has changed recently. There's a guy called Mike Block online who sort of does. I suppose it's like the alternative cello scene, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. So he's just yeah, he, he was really inspiring. So I think I think you'll I think you'll enjoy that. And oh god, it's such a shame not to have that kind of avenue closed off for you at that time. I know. So definitely, definitely check it out. Yeah, I yeah. We, yeah, we can duet sometimes. Yeah. Well. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think I need quite a lot of practice before I got back to that level. Um, tell listeners where they can find out more about you, your books, and your audio books. Oh, well, I have, I have my own site which um, for my creative work, which is um, juleshorn.com. And my name is J-U-L-E-S, like Jules Verne, horn with an E, juleshorn.com. And um, where my um, nonfiction books are is Method Writing um, site. So it's method-writing.com. And there's various kind of downloadables and things on there, including a, a writing for the ear tip sheet if anyone's interested in that. So, yeah, thanks. And thank you for your time today. Also, thank you to all of uh, the show's patrons who support the show and help to keep it running. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Thank you very much to listeners. I'm thanks very, thanks very much, Sasha. Sorry, I spoke over there. I said, thanks very much, Sasha. That's been great. Thank you. I'm Sasha Black. You were listening to Jules Horn, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I have a special episode because I have not one guest, but two absolutely amazing husband and wife team who are the owners and founders of Design for Writers. Design for Writers are a um, cover design company and a website design company and they are my very own cover designers. So it is an absolute honour because I have been trying to drag them onto this podcast pretty much since the start um and they are hilarious as well and there's you know a little bit of banter um and that's that's just them so yes i am super excited we'll be talking all about how to um get the best cover um pitfalls things to look out for um and yeah lots and lots of tips so i will look forward to seeing you all next week don't forget you can still pre-order the um ebook of the anatomy of prose on amazon and by the end of this coming week hopefully by the time you listen to this you should be able to order the paperback as well don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher and when you have a moment please leave a review